I'm in John 3.16 today, and uh, it was not my plan to be here. Uh, usually, uh, people ask me how I go about uh, planning a service or planning a sermon, um, and it usually takes me about seven minutes to do an outline of what I'm going to hit the highlights, and then I spend the week kind of filling up the gaps and, and massaging it. And so, usually I have that in mind by Wednesday, what I'm going to speak on Sunday. Uh, and so, Wednesday came, uh, and Thursday came. And Friday came, and Saturday morning and afternoon and evening came, um, and nothing. So I didn't really know what I was going to speak on today, which there's nothing worse than having to speak. I mean, whether or not I like it, the uh, 1045 hour is coming, uh, and so I've got to speak. And um, I mean, nothing. I would sit down, I'm trying to write, and usually it just flows. Nothing was flowing. It's like I was clogged up or something. I don't know, spiritually constipated, we might say. And so, uh, and so... Uh, I thought, you know, I kept coming back to this John 3.16 passage. I'm like, they're so familiar with John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. That's just going to be boring. That's what I'm thinking to myself. And God reminded me that Scripture is never boring. So there, there's someone in this room today, maybe all of us in this room today, that need to look at John 3.16 and following in a fresh, new way. To understand ultimately, ultimately... That Christ died for us. And I don't, I don't think we, we, we easily flippantly toss that around. That Christ died for us. Christ died on the cross for us. But when you really, really imagine what that is and what he's done. What God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus was God. He is God and will be God. He is with the Father. He is with the Spirit. He has all power to do anything that he wants. But he chose to come and to die on a cross for you and for me and for generations before and for generations to come. Even those of us who may never choose to believe and follow him, he still died. He did not die in vain for you. Or for anyone, his desire is that the entire world would be saved through him. He died for you. And I want you, I want you to weigh that. Well, I want you to weigh that today. He died for you. Before you were ever thought of, before you ever had a social security number, before you ever paid taxes, before you ever voted for a president, before you ever existed, before you were anything, anything, God loved you. And he died for you. There is no greater love that can be demonstrated than when a person is willing to give his life for someone. In fact, the Bible will go on to say in the scriptures that, you know, we, you, know you might be willing to give your life for someone you know, like a wife or a child. But God gave his life for you, not before you were ever known by, by him, but before you were ever known by anybody. He loved you that much. So John 3.16, if you had to, 3.16 and following, if you had to equate what it means for us, it is that Christ died for us, that God gave his son to us while we were sinning. Now I want you, I want you to draw back into the misty recess of the past. I'm sure your sin is in the past, okay? I don't think anybody is sinning in the present. No one's planning to sin in this room today, I'm sure. I'm sure none of us have sinned yet today. We've not had any evil thoughts. We've not sent any vile text messages. We've not put anything on Pinterest or Snapchat or anything else today. I'm sure we haven't done that. And I'm sure we're not going to do that today or this week. While we were sinning, 
While we're murdered up, marred up, mocked up in sin, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we were righteous and holy and singing hallelujahs. He died for us when we were downtrodden in the midst of despair in the dump of life. He died for us when we were in the act of sin itself. Now take you back to that moment. Let's go back there. The sin, the act of sin that you and I have participated in our lives, in the act of sin, in that moment, Christ died for us. Not just to people that would come and sing praises on Sunday morning, but He died for us when we were destined for hell, marked up, mired up, piled up in our depravity and in our sin. While we were focused on what we wanted, God gave the ultimate so that we might have not the life that we wanted, but the life that we have so desperately needed. Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. The reason that Christ died is to give us an opportunity to fellowship with the Father, to be set apart, to be made like Him. Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And when He gave His one and only Son, He gave His one and only Son's life. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And this idea of belief, you know, it hinges. Our faith, our faith, our confidence in God's salvific act or our confidence in salvation is built upon first and foremost of what God has done in Jesus Christ. But as a part of that, listen, it's, it's a mystery. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to quote scripture. Those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. This belief, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Well, for one, it's more than just subscribing to a set of rules. It's more than just subscribing to a set of truths to hopefully live your life by. It is giving your life over, surrendering your life to the one that was the way, that is the way, that is the truth, and is the life. We don't have life. We don't know life until we know Jesus Christ. And yes, I know there are a lot of people who are not following God today. There are a lot of people that are doing their own thing. They're pursuing what they want, and they appear to be happy. You know how they appear to be happy? Because when you go to Facebook, you read about all the things they're doing. They don't uh, don't care about God. They don't care anything about Him. They're pursuing the life that they've wanted and it appears that everything is going oh okay you know very few people listen very few people have a bad day on Facebook okay and I'm gonna I continue to harp on Facebook because so many of us have social anxiety so many of us are oppressed and depressed because we don't have 350 or 850 friends like someone else does on Facebook really Nobody has a bad day on Facebook unless they want to put out their laundry. And some people do that as well. 
But it's always cute little parties and cute little, uh, cute little smiles and cute little bathing suits and cute little vacations. And it seems like they're living the perfect part. Listen, the reason that people can do all these things is because they're in debt up to their eyeballs, okay? You can have the American dream, but you're not going to have the American dream without going into debt for it. Just a reality. And guess what? God has not called us to have the American dream. God has called us to buy into his vision. And his vision is that he has sent his one and only son to die for us and that we might believe in him and have eternal life. So if you're not living your life in the shadow of the death of Christ and the resurrection and the hope of life that he brings, you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. How many times have I sat with people and they say, gosh, I wish years ago I made this decision because I did this and this and it just led to this and this. And before long I realized I didn't realize how far I was away from God. You have the power of decision to believe in the one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who can give you everything that you and I will ever need that can provide a life better than you and I could have ever planned for ourselves. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Because God loved us so much that while we were marked up, matted up in the life of our choosing, he sent our son for us in that moment. And here's, here's the other thing about John 3, 16. Yes, Christ died for us, but here's, here's the other point I want to make. Jesus Christ was sent to save. He was not sent to condemn. I want you to look at verse 17 of the passage. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, I'm going to go to meddling today, because that's what I do. I have been in church, I'm 40 years old, turned 40 November 29th. I've been in church almost 41 years, okay? Um, And I have been in a variety of churches, large churches that run 6,500 in worship on Sunday morning, small churches that run 80. I've pastored churches that run 350. I've pastored churches that run 80. Uh, And, you know, and we're here and we're growing and God's doing amazing things. But here's the thing I want to cue you in on. Every Baptist church, and I'm going to speak of Southern Baptist Church because that's what I am. Every Southern Baptist church has this edge, this flavor, this flair. And it may be just evangelical circles. I, you know, I'm, not going to pick, I'm not going to punch holes at other people. But I'm going to say this. We're very good at doing God's work for Him. We're very good of deciding who's in and who's out. We're very good at condemning people. We're very good at judging people. We're very good at ostracizing people. That is, pushing people away. We are very good of saying, if you want to come join our team, then look like us, talk like us, live like us, buy cars like us, be in debt like us, go to the right places to eat, go to the right places to spend your time. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to look like us. And to the ability and to the extent you don't look like us, then you can't be a follower of Christ. We're very good at trying to create cookie-cutter Christians. But when I read John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through Him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. Here's my question. Do we love the world as much as God does? As I look around, there's been so much transition uh, in the last three years. God is changing the dynamics of First Baptist Church, both racially, ethnically, socioeconomic status. We have all types of people. We have people that hide their tattoos. We have people that pursue their tattoos. We have people with piercings. We have people in denial of their piercings. We have all types of people. And every single person in this community, whether they're at First Baptist Church or they're not, every single person in this community whether they are strung out on drugs today, whether they're at the Carter County prison, whether in some prison somewhere else, wherever they are, God loves them. And you know what? He loves them as much as He loves us. But here's the other thing I would say. If you look in Scripture, you almost get this impression that, gosh, there's this... Maybe God is more passionate for the lost than he is the saved because if we all know the story uh, of the, the 9,900 sheep, you know, you've got this shepherd, he's got 99 sheep and they're in, they're in the right fold. And then the shepherd goes after the one sheep that's lost. He leaves the 99 who are sitting well, who have security for themselves. He goes after the one that's lost. He pursues the lost. Why? Because he values the one who does not know him more than he values the 99 that do. Because when one person comes to Christ, the angels, the angels sing hallelujah. Do we love the world like God loves the world. Jesus was sent to save. He was not sent to condemn. We need to rewrite how we do, how we interact, how we do ministry. We don't do ministry at people. We encourage and live amongst people. We don't judge people for where they've been. We don't judge people for where they are. They don't, we don't judge people for where they're headed. We simply love people. Why? Because God gave the ultimate commandment in this. God loved the world so much that he gave. And the whole, listen, all 600 plus commandments of the Old Testament are built upon one, the great Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then Jesus says in the New Testament, he puts another little extra thing in there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every single commandment, every single truth, every single hope, every single desire, every single vision is built on that premise. Everything rests on it. Do we love the world the way God loves the world He's not here. And listen, Jesus is not in this room today to condemn you. He's here to save you. He's not here today to remind you of your failures. He's here today to give you a hope for the future, a hope and a promise to prosper you and not to harm you, to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. His hope is to build your hope up. His desire is to see you to know Him, to know Him well, and to begin and assimilate and to join and be a part of the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is whose we are. And we 
belong to Jesus Christ. There's a story told two boys, Ben and Daniel. And Ben and Daniel grew up and they were living on the streets of New York. And they were playing, they had this, uh, Daniel had gotten this rubber ball and they were bouncing this ball on the street. How many of you have ever been to New York City? You don't really bounce a ball on the sidewalks in New York City. It's going to lead to travesty. And so Daniel and Ben, they're bouncing this ball when they're young boys. And uh, Daniel accidentally, uh, or Ben bounces the ball and it goes out in the middle of the street. And Daniel runs to fetch it. And all, all you can see are those cabs coming. And they're going 50 and 60 miles an hour. They don't stop even for the red lights. All of a sudden, this man in a suit runs out in the middle of the street, grabs Daniel, and brings him back to safety. Daniel did not realize what had happened, but he had been saved in that moment from dire need. He had been saved from travesty. Well, Ben and Daniel grow up. Daniel makes some bad choices. Choices that sometimes he could help, sometimes he couldn't help. He grew up in a family where both mom and dad were drug users. And so it only became natural for him to live on the streets to get his next fix. And so eventually he got involved in the criminal justice system, not as a lawyer, but as someone who would be a defendant. And time and time again he was in and out of jail, in and out of incarceration... Many times as he was in jail, many people tried to come and minister to him and tell him the truth. But he was so addicted to the painkillers that he didn't care for anything else. So one thing led to another. Daniel, at the age of 35, was involved in an armed robbery that kind of went wrong. And when that armed robbery went wrong... A young man's life was taken. Now Daniel didn't pull the trigger, but he was involved in it. He was an accomplice and he was tried. And as he goes before the judge, he goes up for the opening. This trial begins. He goes in and he's sitting. His honor goes into the courtroom. All the people, the bailiff asks all the people to rise. And Daniel recognizes the guy on the bench. And he says, oh my gosh, that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy that years ago when I was playing in the street, he's so excited. He tells the lawyer, he says, I want to speak for myself. And his honor looks over at the commotion that's going on there with Daniel and his lawyer. And Daniel, he asks, you know, what's what's going on? Come to the podium. And Daniel comes to the podium and he says, "Uh, your honor, you're not going to believe this. He said, this is a great day. He says, "Uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I remember you. And he said, I remember when I was a young boy, I was playing with a friend of mine on the corner of 57th Street. And he said, all of a sudden, um, I darted out in traffic and I was chasing after a ball. And all of a sudden, something swooped in and got me and put me back on the street. And he said, and it was you. You saved my life. And he said, I'm just hoping today that, Your Honor, that you'll have mercy for me. Uh, I've not had a good life. I've struggled. I didn't have a great home. I've made bad choice after bad choice, but I know that this is my divine moment. And the judge looked at him, and he said these haunting words. Daniel, 15 years ago, I was your savior. But today, I'm your judge. Let that sink in. God loves us. His desire is to save us. 
His desire is to give us a better life. But there is a day coming when the time of opportunity will close. And though God loves you enough to send His Son for you and for me, there's a day coming where time will be no more and the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come like a thief in the night and He's going to enter our doorstep. And that won't be a time for us to choose to believe. It will be a day of reckoning to answer for the life that we've lived. He is our Savior in this moment. He loves us more than what we could ever ask or imagine. He loves us better than we could ever love ourselves. And so as we sit and as we think or as I stand and I speak, I know there are things today in your life and in my life and our lives collectively that need to be surrendered to Jesus. For some of you, you have been under the illusion, and that's what it is, an illusion, that you're a believer. And that you believe you're a believer because decades ago or years ago or five years ago, you walked an aisle because you were emotionally moved in a service or you were at camp and you felt something that you had never felt before and that was the Holy Spirit working and you made the assumption that because you felt something that you've been changed and so you walked an aisle, you repeated words that were shared to you by a counselor or shared to you by a pastor, you even went through the hoop of being baptized because that's what Scripture teaches But when you left, listen, when you and I left the baptismal pool and we dried off, we were the same as what we were before we ever had the experience. And we've gone through our life and we're hoping and we're praying and we're going through the the, the motions. We're going through the motions of church. We're here, I would say every time the doors are open, but we're here as much as we can be here. We have a Bible. It's dusty sometimes. We don't read it as much as we should. Uh, We try to come to Sunday school, but gosh, sleeping is so much more tempting. Or something else is so much more tempting. We have our priorities all messed up, but we hope at the end that we're going to be okay. I mean, you know, we, we have friends that are at church. They seem to be cool with us. They seem to think that we're believers. At least we feel kind of like we're a believer. I mean, you know... Well, I think the minister likes me, and I've liked the minister, you better. And so uh, we're just going through the motions. But if we died today, where would we be? See, a lot of us are banking on the fact that we're going to live forever. <laughs> but. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people at Johnson City Medical Center this afternoon that didn't expect to be there this morning. Heart attacks happen just like that. Car wrecks happen just like that. Suicides happen just like that. And you know what? No one ever planned to do that. I've never, listen, I've never taught children 
in a preschool arena or a children's arena and have them draw a picture and dream about what they want to do with their life. No one in preschool ever draws a picture of, of someone shooting up and saying, this is what I desire for my life. I've always wanted to be a drug user. No one ever draws a picture that I want to die when I'm 14 or 15 uh, as a passenger in a vehicle of a car. No one does that because we have our whole lives before us. But here's the question. You may have your whole life before you. My question to you is this. Do you have Christ before you? It's time. The time is now because all you and I have is now. We can't change what was. We don't know what will be. But we have now this moment to make a commitment. This moment to know that God has sent His only Son into the world so that if we believe in Him, we will not die but have eternal life. Make no mistake, everybody on the face of this planet will have eternity. It's just about your destination. Your eternity in heaven with Him or your eternity in hell without Him. Earth is the only hell that I'm ever going to know. I hope you can say that. And the only way I can say that is not because I've looked apart, I've been in church 41 years even though I'm only 40 years old. Because it's not about attending church. It's not about wearing a suit, it's not about looking your part, not about combing your hair, not about having, not having a tattoo, not having an earring. It's about knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? That's where it begins and ends. All the rest of this is junk. And the church, listen, the church universal has spent oh so much time and energy trying to communicate that you need to be like us. No, you don't need to be like us. We need to be like Jesus. That is who saves. Jesus was sent to save. He was not sent to to condemn. And finally, do we believe enough in God's provision? That is the way that He's made through Jesus Christ to commit our lives and faith to Him. And here's, here's how you know if you've done it. Let's go back to that scenario in the courtroom. Let's just pretend like we're in a courtroom, okay? And since I'm not the judge, I'm going to get down here and be amongst you all, okay? So I'm going to sit on the front pew. So we're in the courtroom, and each one of us is going to be called to the witness stand. And we're being tried to see if there's enough evidence to convict us as being a follower of Christ. And I'm not even going to say if there's enough evidence uh, to see if we are Christians because the word Christian in our society has taken on a new nuance. The word Christian means good guy. Nice person. Helps an old lady across the street. Gives money to the poor. No, no, no. Are you a follower of Christ? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? Yeah, that kind of changes the dynamics a little bit. We start examining our lives. Is there enough evidence to convict us of being a follower of Christ? The judge? Well, he can be your savior today. But tomorrow, and what tomorrow may bring, is that he will be the judge, and he's righteous. Today he is mighty to save. He's mighty to lift you up. He is mighty to, for you to let go of whatever has kept you from experiencing the life that you've always needed. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? When you look at the front of the bulletin, thanks to Rourke Gearing, 2017, 
New year, new life, new president. Underscore the middle one. New year, new life. Do you have the new life that he brings? We sang a song in closing this morning. Blessed assurance. Listen to these words. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The heir of salvation, the purchase of God. We are born of his spirit. We are washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission as we submit to Him. All is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with His goodness, I'm lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Are you lost in the love of God? And is this your story? If this is not your story, then don't sing a lie to God. If you've not been radically transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about getting emotional. I can get emotional watching a Hallmark movie, and that's not the whole Holy Spirit. I can get emotional when I walk, walk into Best Buy and all those new electronic gadgets. I mean, it's mind-boggling. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. It's not about getting emotional. It's not about getting teary. It's about God getting this. Does he have your heart? Are you lost in his love? His love is so encompassing in your life and in your story that all you can talk about is the compassion that he brings. You know, one of the reasons that we're so judgmental (laughs) is because we're not lost in his love. When we are lost in the love of Jesus Christ, when we are lost in the love of Jesus Christ, we will love everybody. We will love all people because we recognize in our worst moment God loved us enough to send his only son not to condemn us but to love us and to give us life eternal through him if we choose to believe. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, as it comes business, spiritual business for us in this room. The questions that we ask, the questions that we seek today. 
Have we been lost in the love of Christ? Are we so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that what overflows in us is a compassion and a love and a desire to make Christ known and to see Him move as He's moved in our lives? Have we been so defined by the struggles and the problems and the sin and the issues and the brokenness of our story that we fail to be overwhelmed by the author of our story? This God that we come and we worship is a God who is not up there on high looking down on us. He is a God who is real. He is a God who is personal. He's a God who's moved into our neighborhood. And He loves us. Oh God, does He love us. How deep is the Father's love for us? How deep is the Father's love for us? Higher than we could ever go. Wider than we could ever see. Jesus Christ died for us. He did not come into our lives to condemn us. He came into our lives to save us. And to make us complete. Lord, there are people in this room who wrestle because they've never fully surrendered their life to your son, Jesus Christ. You've made a provision. They've heard the story time and time again. It is a story that is near and dear to them, but it is not their story yet. And so today in this invitation, I just want to ask if you're here and you desire this to be your story, I just want to simply ask you to come to this altar today. To get up from where you are and come to this altar and meet a God who immeasurably loves you. You're not worried about what people think. You're not worried about whether you've been baptized once or twice or three times because, listen, all you did was get wet. But God loves you. And today is a day of salvation. Lord, create in us a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. If there's someone here today that needs to have redirection in their life, a U-turn. God allows broken people to be renewed in Him. And Lord, if there's someone in this room who's never been broken, then we will meet someone who doesn't know you. Because to know you and to commit your life, to commit our lives to you, means that we will be broken. God, forgive us for the many things that we have said this week. God, forgive us for many things that we've done this week. God, forgive us for the many thoughts that we've had this week that have taken us further and further and further away from your plan and away from you. God, forgive us for the images that we've sent, the images that we've viewed. God, forgive us for the so many ways that we have forsaken you who love us so much. This invitation, God, as you speak and as we sing, May hearts and souls respond so that everyone can leave this place in this room today and say, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Lord, come to us now, dear Jesus. Convict us where we need convicting. Help us to surrender where we need to surrender and give us a new life in you. This is our prayer, this is our confession, 
And Father, as we respond in obedience to your will, as we walk an aisle, we submit our hearts and our lives to you, seeking your will and not our own. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And let us rejoice in the love of Christ as we've received it. May we extend it to others as we mimic and embody what God did in sending his son. He loved the world so much that he gave. May we give to the world in order to point them to Jesus Christ so that our story can be their story and that his story can be ours. In Christ's name we pray.